Hello, working people of Southwest Washington. You're listening to episode 24 of Working to Live in Southwest Washington, produced by the Southwest Washington Central Labor Council. We're also a proud member of the Labor Radio Podcast Network, with over 130 radio shows and podcasts for working people just like you. Find out more about the network at laborradionetwork.org. I'm Shannon Myers. And I'm Harold Phillips. And before we get started, we always like to remind you that the views and opinions expressed on this show are not necessarily the views and opinions of the Southwest Washington Central Labor Council, its affiliate unions, our guests' unions, or their employers, not even their pumpkin spiced latte. Nobody but themselves. She's feeling the fall, y'all. It is cold and rainy. It's starting to feel like the Pacific Northwest again. I've I've kind of missed it, actually. Oh, finally. My kids are saying, when is it going to be fall? When is it going to rain? Well, now that we've got that over with. Hey, Shannon, you watch any good movies or TV shows lately? <sighs> Funny you ask that. Since my two grandbabies have moved in with me, I have really gotten interested in this new Netflix series called PJ Masks. It's great. It's great. Or Coco Melon. That's another good one. Coco Melon. Got those songs stuck in your head? Oh my gosh. PJ Masks. PJ Masks. Woohoo. Yeah. Um, I don't have a lot of time for myself, but... I did realize on my DVR that a lot of my fall shows coming up are now saved. So that means people are working again and shows are coming online. Yeah, well, the thing we have to remember about those shows is that for every person you see on the screen, there are probably 5, 10, maybe 20 other people behind the scenes who make that show happen. People like grips, camera operators, makeup artists. Prop masters. A lot of those people are represented by the International Alliance of Theatrical Stage Employees, or IOTSE. And IOTSE is taking a vote to go on strike right now. Well, it depends on when you're listening to this episode, but if you're listening to it the weekend of October 2nd, they're voting right now. But Harold, we're in Southwest Washington. Those people are in Hollywood. What does that matter to us? Well, a lot of IATSE members are in Hollywood, but we have a lot right here in the Pacific Northwest. And this strike could have a big impact on them and on IATSE members all around the country. To tell us more about that, we're joined by IATSE Local 488 business agent, C. David Cottrell. Thanks for joining us, C. David. Hey, thanks, Harold. Thanks for having me. So as I just mentioned, IATSE is not just based in Hollywood, right? Correct. Yeah, we have in this current strike authorization vote, which you mentioned, we have not only the Hollywood locals, which is there are 13 of those and, and have members uh, in Hollywood, but also those members work across the country under the basic agreement, as well as under our area standards agreements. We have two contracts, the theatrical area standards agreement and the basic agreement, which are up for negotiations right now. And it's the same workers doing the same work just in different areas of the country. So we have 23 locals across the country and Puerto Rico that manage the work outside of Hollywood. So we're talking about a total 
of around 60,000 workers doing this work or eligible to do this work that will possibly be on strike if a strike authorization vote goes through. So you said that there are Hollywood locals, but there's locals all across the country, right? How many IATSE members would you say work here in our beautiful Southwest Washington? We have a couple dozen members that actually live in Southwest Washington, but those workers generally come over to Portland to do the work um, and into Oregon because that's the production center. And they also travel over to Seattle when there's jobs there. Um, Because our jurisdiction covers Oregon, Washington, Montana, and Idaho, our members are traveling a fair amount in general. Uh, But the work centers are primarily Spokane, Seattle, and Portland, uh, with then some additional cities in Montana. So a couple of dozen people here in our area, how are they going to be affected by you called it a strike authorization? So the process has to play out. The negotiations broke down between the employers, which is the AMPTP, the Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers, and the IA said, you're not bargaining in good faith. Then our president, President Matt Loeb of the International Alliance of Theatrical Stage Employees, called on the general executive board of the IA to authorize him to call a strike authorization vote. And then what happens is we'll do the vote starting Friday through Sunday. And then depending on the results, and we hope to have a great result from our membership, the president would take that positive vote back to the producing group. And we hope that's enough leverage to get us back to the table. What you're saying is if the vote is in favor of striking, there might not be a strike? Yes. Exactly. The whole goal of this effort is to, like I said, provide that leverage point where we could then take that power of the vote results back to our employers and say, we have 85% or 90% or even 100% of the members who are eligible and working under these contracts who will strike against you if you don't agree to go back to the table. I mean, what we've seen in these negotiations is something that, frankly, we've never seen um, in previous negotiations. We've had very smooth negotiations previously, but the increases in cost of living have not been acknowledged in recent contracts. And the rising cost of healthcare has also not been acknowledged. You know, the IA spent a lot of money and hired three different independent actuaries to look at specifically the healthcare increases over the next three years, and they will be at least uh, 8% over each of the next three years. And our wages have traditionally been a 3% increase over every contract cycle. So we're asking for the wages to catch up and we're asking for the healthcare contributions from the employers to keep up with the inflation. Yeah, so let's talk a little bit about the wages. Yeah. A lot of people think about film and TV production. They think it's pretty glamorous work, right? Um, Right. They think about exotic locations and exciting car chases and that sort of thing. How many of your members are doing the glamorous work? Uh, Probably about 1%. The work is not glamorous at all. And anybody who takes a set tour, when we used to be able to give those pre-COVID, would find themselves probably pretty bored 
on a set because even if you're doing an action scene or a stunt scene, it's, it's a lot of moving parts. And so we have to get all those in order before we even start rolling on the shot. It's typically, you know, 12 to 14 to even like more hours, 16 hours of work every day. And you're just kind of plotting through the script. Hopefully not plotting. I mean, hopefully you're moving through the script pages that were being shot that day. But depending on how the director is managing the job, how the production is set up the logistics for the job, things can change in an instant and you have to shift and pivot and do different things which are necessary to make the day, quote unquote. And by making the day, that means like trying to get people home at a reasonable hour. You said 12 to 14 to 16 hours. That's for one person? One person working all of those hours? Yeah, we don't have shifts. It's not a shift work kind of job. We're manufacturing entertainment, but it is an extended shift, more in line with like our healthcare workers. And I'm not trying to equate that with the work that they do and the importance of the work that they do, but it is more like that because it's not a typical factory shift, right? And you, you don't really know how long you're going to stay. That's one of the things that we're trying to address in this contract is getting the employers to recognize that we're willing to work the longer day. However, we believe that they have a responsibility to really do a better job in managing the day. And if the day is long, uh, you know, provide us with a hotel room if we need it or a ride back home if we need it or provide us with a turnaround, you know, a rest period, which is adequate so that we can be with our families and go do the shopping for the week or, you know, go to a doctor appointment, you know, all those things. When you talk about a turnaround, what generally are crew on sets looking at as a break between days? So a typical break in our contract is between nine and 10 hours, but that is the time from when you're released from work, then you have to drive home. Uh, Often our locations are distant or not right close by in the city. So, you know, we're talking at least a minimum of half hour, if not an hour drive um, both ways. And then you have to do all the other stuff that you have to do to live, right? So you have to go home, see your family, kiss your wife, kiss the baby, hold the baby. Uh, All of the things that we expect to be able to do as a normal human being and then sleep for an adequate amount of time. So the listeners can do the math in their head that your typical worker on an episodic or a motion picture is probably averaging around five, six hours of sleep. And we don't feel that's healthy. So we're trying to increase the amount of hours that people have to live. And then when you talk about a weekend, you know, typically on an episodic, and when I say episodic, I mean like a TV show, you are starting out at 7 a.m. on a Monday. But by Friday, because of the rest periods that are required, you're not starting until four o'clock or five o'clock in the afternoon. And so you're doing what we call a Friday and working from 4 p.m. on a Friday to 4 a.m. on a Saturday. A Friday? That sounds great. Now, that little sleep can't be safe. No, it's not. And there's been some great work done around that with the AAA and with people in our industry. Um, Mr. Wexler, a director, DGA member, had a great documentary that he did called 12 Hours On, 12 Hours Off, 
which really highlighted this problem because it's everybody who's involved from the production assistants to even the drivers, the professional drivers have an opportunity on our jobs, the Teamsters to sleep and nap during the day because they're the ones at the end of the night, they're going to move that whole production from one location to another. So they have required amounts of break. But that's what we're trying to address in this contract is that our people don't have that. So people show up and they're working for 12, 14, 16 hours. And yes, the producers are required to offer them a room or a ride, but you can imagine like there's just a disconnect sometimes with a crew member. They're like, I just want to go home. I want to see my family for whatever time I can. So they choose to drive themselves. And that's where the danger lies because they may not be in shape to drive. They are so, you know, exhausted, especially towards the end of the week that, you know, we don't know what's going to happen. And we do know what does happen when those things go really wrong, because we have the reports, you know, of people driving off the road. And aside from driving home from work, yeah, a film or TV set can be a pretty dangerous place on its own, right? I myself have exactly. been on set. There are cranes, there are tracks, there are electrical cables all over. Yeah, it's an industrial work site. So, you know, it's very important for people to realize, like we were alluding to earlier, like it's not all that glamour and the pizzazz that I think the general public may think of as what a movie set or a TV set is like. There's also the real dangers of just any kind of workplace, and especially ours when we're on location. You know, we're not in a traditional four by four, four walls kind of building always. We're out in the wilderness, especially because people come to Oregon to film our landscape, right? So we're out there, you know, day or night, as we experienced on Grimm when I was on there as our assistant prop master for six years. I mean, we were always out on location. You know, we had stage spaces, but consistently we were on location at night or at weird hours and everybody's wearing headlamps and trying to navigate the terrain, which is not made for our production, right? I mean, we're just dealing with the existing terrain. So that lack of sleep must make staying safe in that kind of environment even more difficult. Yes, absolutely. The lack of sleep towards the end of the week, as I said, when you're doing that sort of progressive sloping down of uh, start times at the beginning of the day from 7 a.m. on Monday to 4 p.m. on Friday, you can imagine, you know, that continuous grind, especially if you're doing it for multiple seasons, multiple years becomes a danger, you become a danger to yourself. Um, so we just really have to do the extra cautionary things to make sure that each other are being safe and watch out for the job hazards, which in a normal factory environment, you wouldn't have to watch out for. So these all seem like pretty basic workplace protections that we're talking about here. You're talking about a living wage. You're talking about Healthcare, you're talking about being able to get enough sleep to be safe. What kind of employers are having a hard time providing this? Yeah, I mean, are we talking about the stereotypical independent filmmaker who's sold their car and gone into debt in order to make their movie that they hope is going to hit at Sundance? Do these people just not have the money? Now, Harold, I wish that were who we were talking about because. You know, you and I have had many conversations and worked together to support that independent film market because it's a necessary part of our ecosystem. But no, we're not talking about those people. We're talking about uh, we're talking about Netflix. We're talking about Amazon. We're talking about Walt Disney, MGM, 
Warner Brothers. We're talking about the multi-billion dollar corporations that run our entertainment production. These people have the money. They have the strategic ability to plan the workflow so that it does not negatively impact workers. And yet, for some reason, we're at this impasse in these contract negotiations where they're not realizing reality. They don't just have the money. They have a ton more money. I mean, during the pandemic, what did we all do? We all sat around. We all watched Netflix. We all watched movies. We all started streaming all of these different networks. Heck, we even watched brand new movies that came out for an additional cost. Exactly. I mean, that's the frustrating part, I think, where we find ourselves is that we did a lot of work even before the international unions and guilds came together for protocols to get us back to work in COVID. We in Oregon and in Southwest Washington worked together with the stakeholders in the industry to make sure that we had protocols in place that would get us back to work as soon as possible, right? We made sure that if we were going back to work, we're going to be safe. And then that was followed by the international unions and guilds coming up with protocols collectively, SAG-AFTRA and IOTSE and the Teamsters and the DGA coming together and you know standing shoulder to shoulder to do the return to work agreements. And so that's what's really frustrating is we have proven that we are honest and good partners with our employers in trying to make their work happen and continue their work and get that content back out there. As soon and as make possible. them a lot of money. Has, haven't and their profits make them gone up? A lot of money. Right, exactly. And so that's what's really, to me, the most disappointing thing about these negotiations is that not only are they bargaining in bad faith with the particulars of this agreement, but they're not even acknowledging the work that we did along with SAG after and DGA and, and the Teamsters to get their companies back up and running and get their profit streams going. So. IOTC is taking a vote to see whether the members are going to authorize the union to possibly go on strike. If this strike actually happens, what happens then? Do TV screens go blank? Do the theaters shut down? Well, it's going to be interesting, right? Because there is a certain amount of content already banked, you know, in the can, as we say in the industry, back from when we used film and put actually film into cans um, to store. So there is a certain amount of content that is, you know, in that bank that they could still release, but your traditional series that you watch on Hulu or Netflix or whatever drops every week or every other week, depending on what the network is. And each episode takes probably a month, I would say, to go through the complete process of photography to editing and everything they need to do with it. So you're seeing it four weeks or so after it was done. If you just extrapolate that out, then you're going to run out at some point, right? And the other thing is we're concerned that those mega media corporations will start to pump in more of their offshored work, you know, their foreign work that was not under a union contract and try to put that into the mix to replace the American-made manufactured work done by union workers here. So- yeah. Especially the streamers, uh, yes. they seem to be bringing a lot of foreign programming into their networks, right? Yeah, and not, not all of that should be seen in a negative light because a lot of our projects will have an international footprint and they'll still maintain the union contracts from back here when they go over there. 
you know, the producers acknowledge the contract and they maintain the contract when they go overseas. So as you've mentioned before, you have people here in Southwest Washington who are IATSE members, but they end up going to Portland or they end up going to Spokane, which happens in a lot of our jobs, uh, unfortunately. So why don't we have more production here in Southwest Washington? Well, I think that it is about engagement with uh, the politicians over there. The other thing is the whole state is in kind of a, a flux as to what Washington wants to do with its incentive program. What, what do you mean by incentives? So incentives are a way for states to attract motion picture and television production companies and productions into the region. It's kind of the baseline of competition across the United States. Washington currently has a $3.5 million film incentive program. And what they do is basically accept the production receipts on their costs, both for labor and for goods and services. And then they provide a certain percentage of reimbursement to the production for coming into Washington and spending the money here. And we know from extrapolating out the numbers that, you know, for every dollar given by the state incentive programs, there's probably about a eight to $10 return on each dollar spent. Oregon has done a better job to date in promoting itself. Uh, Montana just had a $2 million increase in their incentive program. I feel like we're in a good place for Washington to, again, try to boost that incentive program. Yeah, but see, David, we're talking about giving state money to these big Hollywood corporations (laughs) that we were just talking about for Oh, what did you say? You have a couple dozen IOTC members up here in Southwest Washington. How does that pencil out? I mean, why should the state be paying to employ a couple dozen people? Well, it's not just a couple dozen people in Washington, as you know. I mean, it, it is it is also all those members we have in Spokane and Seattle, as well as the members in Portland, because we do cross borders for work. We have a constant flow of workers going back and forth especially between the Portland and Seattle markets. When you talk about our shows, you know, our major studio productions, the ones that we're uh, talking about regarding the strike authorization, we have three productions here in Portland currently, and we're probably talking a total of 600 plus workers on those three shows. That includes our brothers and sisters and family and Teamsters, the Directors Guild, as well as SAG-AFTRA. We're talking about a large amount of folks who live cross-border and travel cross-border to do this work, no matter what it is. We've seen increased productions in Southwest Washington, but we would love to see that escalate more. But like I said, it's dependent on the incentive program. And it's unlike other tax credits where you would pay like a rebate to an Amazon to come set up a warehouse, right? Because there are contingencies built into our tax credit system in both Washington and Oregon, which specify that the work needs to be done by people in those states. So it's state residents and it's going to building jobs for state residents, unlike Amazon's deals, which are only based on whatever, you know, conversation they had with a politician. Ours are based on actual hard qualifications that those companies need to meet. And one of the most important things is employing production companies that are based in Washington and employees that are based in Washington. And that 
$10 multiplier comes into effect too. Each one of those Washington residents that gets employed mm-hmm. is going to spend that money at their local businesses. Absolutely. So, these, are, these are taxpayers you're talking about. These are homeowners. These are renters. These are people who have families. And so they're spending them just like everybody else spends money. They're going to you know, their local grocery store. They're going to their local pharmacist. They're going to the doctor and they're also paying into their real estate taxes. They're, they're taxpayers. Well, see, David, I know your time is limited. If our listeners want to support IOTSE in these negotiations with the producers, what can they do? The best thing they can do as an ally is to go to asa.iotse.net. So that's asa.iotse.net. And there you'll find a lot of information on the two different contracts, as well as a link, most importantly, to our petition, which we are submitting nationally uh, or have out there nationally for folks to sign on and support. Excellent. And we will put a link to that petition in our show notes. So thank you so much for making the time to join us. See David Cottrell, business agent for IOTC 488, studio mechanics of the Northwest. And thank you, working people, for joining us on another episode of Working to Live in Southwest Washington, produced by the Southwest Washington Central Labor Council. You know, Harold, you're never going to go on strike. And I'll tell you why, because we believe in a worker's right to have dignity and a voice in the workplace. And that is why we always have this podcast under a SAG-AFTRA collective bargaining agreement. So about that raise that I've been needing for a while, are you saying we can sit down and start bargaining? Absolutely. Let's talk about it. I'll hold you to that. Let's talk to the e-board. Remember, working people, this is your show. We want to know what you want to hear on it. Email us at podcast at swwaclc.org or find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at swwaclc. As always, don't forget to subscribe to the show, and that way you can get automatically reminded when our new episodes come up and pass it on to your friends and family so that they can also learn about what's going on with working people in Southwest Washington. And after you pass that link on, give us five stars or put the camera on the dolly track or rack focus or whatever your podcast platform of choice gives you to let people know you like what we're doing here. One last thing, folks, we've seen a lot of working people standing up for themselves lately. We saw bakers at Frito-Lay and Nabisco standing up against huge snack companies. We've seen healthcare workers standing up against hospital systems controlled by hedge funds. And now we're seeing rank and file crew members standing up against these huge multinational producers to say, we deserve a living wage. We deserve to be safe in our workplace. We are living in a moment. I don't know if it's because of what we've just been through with COVID or because a lot of people had to stay home and they started thinking about their work lives. But more and more people are looking at their workplace and they're saying, you know what? We deserve better. We deserve to be treated fairly. We deserve 
to be able to pay our bills and go home and spend time with our families. I have been talking about work-life balance on this show for quite some time. And this is another example of people fighting for a work-life balance. You should be able to work and go home and make enough money to where you have food on the table and a roof over your head. And unfortunately, things are getting more and more and more expensive. And the wages are not keeping up with all of these expenses. And if Disney and Netflix and other huge multi-million billion dollar companies are making extra profit off of this pandemic, they should be able to share that with the workers who are making that possible. All the workers, from the actors down to the grips and all the way down to the janitors, everybody should be making a living wage and should be respected. And if the huge multi-billion dollar companies can afford million dollar salaries for their CEOs, then goddamn it, they should be able to afford living wages for the people who get them there. It really doesn't matter if you're a nurse, if you're a housekeeper, or if you're a crew member on a movie set. The simple fact of the matter is you go in, you work for your paycheck, and you want to go home. You want to go home safe. You want to go home with enough time to rest that you can come back to work refreshed. That's what IOTC's fight is all about. That's what many of us are fighting for in our workplace. So if you're tired of the way things are, start talking to your coworkers. And when you're ready to actually make a difference, give us a call. We can put you in touch with somebody who can help you organize. Absolutely. Call us. We're here for you. We'll see you soon. Bye.